All right. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're all having a good day. Uh, we have a lot to cover here, a lot of news, and uh, let's dive right in. So first off, I want to show this clip that Trump has pinned on his Twitter. Um, this came out two hours ago. has to do with the big story that we're going to be covering today, and that is the 25th, uh, 25th Amendment uh, Committee that Pelosi and Raskin are putting together uh, to determine at the uh, direction of Congress whether or not the president is fit for office, and then uh, then I guess that would <laughs> boot the president out of the office if they were deemed unfit. So it's like an, an ability for the president just to get booted. And we, we already, of course, see that with impeachment, but the difference here is that impeachment would be for a crime, I I, I think, and uh, this would be for not being able, like you're not, you know out of your mind kind of thing or uh, debilitation. So listen to how Trump responds. He thinks this is about them trying to get Kamala into office, and you know again this is one of those things that different people are going to read differently. The Democrats might actually like like this take. <laughs> And be like, wow, great idea. We support this idea and we're going to vote for Joe. Let's use it. And because the, the way it works, and we'll get into the details in a second, but if the president gets kicked out, the vice president steps up. So in that, if you look at the rules, you got to look at the rules and who they benefit. That would benefit Kamala if applied on Joe, obviously. Let's watch uh, what Trump says. And this is, isn't a video. This is him calling into a radio show. Rush Limbaugh's. Well, let's assume. Whoa, sorry about that. The Democrats are going to vote for, you know, Sleepy Joe, and which is ridiculous because Joe shouldn't be a candidate. Joe should. Joe's in no condition to be a candidate. Well, we you know, can say it nicely or we can say it badly. The Twenty Fifth Amendment that crazy Nancy's playing around. She's gone crazy. She's a nut job. But this this Twenty uh, Fifth Amendment. I think they put it in so they can get Kamala in replace. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's a trial run to see if they can kick Biden out of. That's exactly right, sir. It's exactly. It's not aimed at you. That was the first thing I thought of. And by the way, the Republicans are, have been really very good to me. Now, also, it could be serving two two jobs, right? The Democrats. I mean, this is a no brainer for the Democrats. Although you should think about the long term implications of this, because like fire, you can use it. You know, it can help you a little bit, but if it gets out of control, it can be your demise. So. There's Trump saying that he's thinking that maybe they're eyeing uh, usurping Joe's reign and putting Kamala in the Oval Office. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. And we will cover the details about the 25th um, Amendment argument and what Pelosi is doing. But let's uh, let's start from the top. I want to give a big welcome to everybody. Shout out to everybody who's uh, tuning in, uh, either on YouTube, where we are live on the Tim Truth channel, or on podcasts or alternate video hosting site, wherever you're watching. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I do want to announce that we have a new um, Patreon video that went out to all the supporters there. So if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you might want to hop on there and unlock all that content. Here's the thumbnail for that episode. It goes into uh, the development of the Latin script and how we got from Phoenician uh, all the way through and really, even before Phoenician, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. And uh, I thought it was an interesting episode. Definitely check that out if you're already a supporter. So uh, 
President Trump is bragging about military spending. Listen to this clip and let me know what you think about it. I'll let you know what I think. We've spent $2.5 trillion over the term in office, my term. That's over three and a half years. Two point, think of that, $2.5 trillion. I took over a depleted military, old equipment, broken equipment. Even in the Army, all brand new uniforms with the belt. Everybody wanted the belt. But we spent $2.5 trillion. We got everybody pay increases, three of them. There's never seen anything like what I've done for the military. As far as the VA is concerned, what we've done there with choice and accountability, the VA would be treating people badly. We couldn't do anything about the people that were treating our great soldiers, our great heroes badly. Now you fire them right away because of accountability. For 45 years, they were trying to get that. For more than 45 years, they were trying to get choice. Obama gave you a weak version that didn't work. It was a joke. I gave you the Mission Act, which is phenomenal, and it's worked out fantastically well. And we now had a 91% approval rating from the vets, our great vets, our great heroes. So I just want to tell you, we have your back. Our military has never been stronger. It's never been better. We've never had equipment like we have right now. We have brand new tanks and planes, F-35s, all of the best of everything. Nobody thought it was possible. I just want to thank a lot of the Republican senators, because getting it from the Democrats is like pulling teeth. But the Republican Senate, Senator Imhoff and so Now, keep in mind, Republicans, the conservatives, are supposed to be about conserving resources. Can you imagine how much money $2.5 trillion is? And this is only in uh, Trump's first term. Um, I've heard estimates in how much he's spent at around $6.6 trillion, which is more than any other president has spent in, in a term. And uh, it's just insane. It is insane. With the coronavirus and the military and these social welfare programs and sending everyone checks, um, I'm not a fan of Trump's policy at all. So many others, they've been fantastic. So I just want to thank them. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's debt slavery for an entire country. How is that a good thing? How is that not um, treason? Very much, but our military has never been in stronger shape. They're literally selling our country. I mean, how is that not treason? Whether it's rockets or missiles or anything you can name, we're building a lot of ships right now. We're getting our Navy back to where it should be. Everything that you can name is now under development or already developed and sent. Everything you can name has already been developed and sent. Okay, Trump. All right. Um, but, of course, the other side is even scarier. Here we have Tro Tro. Here we have Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris kicking off their, no joke, Battle for the Soul of the Nation. Battle for the Soul of the Nation bus tour. And look at where they're starting. Phoenix, Arizona. Like Phoenix, like <laughs> the bird that erupts into fire and is reborn from the flames, kind of like Phoenician and early alphabet. Uh, check out that Patreon video if, if you haven't uh, seen it yet. Just dropped it. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, kind of like Trump Twin Towers, the Twin Tower Phoenix. Let me show you that one. Twin Towers 2, also known as the World Trade Center Phoenix, Trump Twin Towers, the new Twin Towers or the Twin Towers II, the Roman numeral for two. 
Also the sign for Trump's uh, astrological sign, the Gemini, the twins. So let's, uh, well, it's just an image. Let's look at this image. This is Biden-Harris announcing their Soul of the Nation bus tour. They're battling for our souls. They're they're openly admitting they're trying to, to win our souls. So here's another podium that Kamala's standing at, Battle for the Soul of the Nation. We've seen that before at the Gettysburg Address that Joe, that, uh, Joe gave the other day. Oops. Um, I guess I didn't save off the new new thumbnail. I thought I added Joe <laughs> with his podium into the thumbnail. I guess not. But uh, we all saw the, the, the podium he was at the other day. Battle for the soul of the nations. Or the, the souls of the nation. Or I think it was singular. Battle for the soul of the nation. And I've said this before. Um, if you look at the etymology of the word psychology, it used to mean the study of the soul. Now it means the study of the mind. So I don't know if it's it's another way to say, you know, battle to control the minds of the people. I kind of interpret it that way. You know, it's all about mind control. Weaponized psychology. All right, this is a, one of the biggest stories of the day. Ohio County says nearly 50,000 voters received wrong ballots. This is an article uh, I think Politico broke, or they have a story about it we're reading from here. And there's only 240,000 ballots that have been mailed, meaning one out of five received a wrong ballot, 20%. And this is in Ohio. Uh, Well, I mean, that's the key. I don't want to move on too quickly. I mean, that's a tremendous story. 50,000 voters received wrong ballots. How is this possibly going to be resolved in less than a month? How is this not going to be contested by whichever side loses. Probably both sides will contest it because they know the other side's going to contest it. I mean, they won't contest the outcome, but they'll contest the, or they won't contest who won if they won, but they'll contest how much they won by and the methodology and all the problems that happened. So this is just going to be a huge mess, a huge S show. And, uh, yeah, I I think that, Anyone saying the contrary has the burden of proof because 2020, I think, has been pretty indicative of what I'm expecting. (laughs) I don't know if I said that well. Probably not. But if 2020 is any indicator, the election is going to be a total mess. So here's another person on Twitter bringing um, problems to the forefront. This is somebody who is in California, uh, Tom Thompson, son of John and uh, Gertrude Thompson, both passed away over 10 years ago. So sorry about that, Tom, first off. But he received ballots for the upcoming election from them. And he's asking for an investigation as to why they were mailed ballots for the 2020 election. So very interesting data point. All right, let's shift over. Speaking of the election, think about how few days and weeks remain before the election. It's really like three weeks. So why are the Democrats, namely Nancy and the bill sponsor um, Raskin, why are they coming out and announcing a committee to deem whether a president is fit for office and and basically coming up with a new, it's basically like the fact-checking concept, right? They, They pretend like they have this independent 
panel of experts who are going to be the authority and have the end say. I mean, that's basically what they're doing. They're building up the New World Order, this huge hierarchy of authoritarianism, whereby people just obey the authority from the people above them in the hierarchy. And um, so with just a few weeks before the election, why would they be trying to oust Trump? If if Biden has this huge uh, victory, I mean, what's the term? A big lead in terms of the polling. Like, do they know that the polls are, are bunk? Are they actually trying to get Kamala in there? That's what Trump is suggesting in his latest tweet. Um, a lot of people think that. But let's listen to uh, some of this speech from Kamala or <laughs> from uh, Nancy Pelosi here. And uh, I'll try to speed it up so we can get through this faster. Of our democracy. And she gives it wearing a mask. I mean, I can't I can I'm not going to be able to listen to this whole thing, but I can't believe she gave this speech in a mask. The Democrats are really taking this to new levels for the future. That is why today, again, it is my honor to welcome Congressman Jamie Rask. Okay, so I figured out how to speed it up. We're at one and a half times, which I think makes Nancy more listenable. All right, let's play through. And a constitutional scholar as he introduces legislation to establish a commission on presidential capacity to discharge the duties and the powers and duties of the office. This is not about President Trump. He will face the judgment of the voters. But he, he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. So this is not about Trump. This is about future presidents. Well, couldn't Trump be a future president? Yes. Um, and who else is a future president possibility? Joe Biden. So some people are like, well, she says it's not about Trump. So I guess it's about Joe Biden. I actually saw Tim Pool before I started. I was watching a little bit of his video about this. That was the point he makes. And... Um, I don't think we should take Nancy at her word. She says, this is not about Trump. That doesn't mean it's not about Trump. Then again, I also think that a lot of these players are on the same team and it's fake division. Kind of like how um, soap opera stars, the actors and actresses in soap operas get paid a lot of money. The actors and actresses in, in sitcoms like Friends or whatever get paid a lot of money. And sometimes you'll have conflict amongst them. But in reality, they're on the same team getting paid. It's WWE is another example. Let's watch a little more. Throughout America's history, our leaders have created and strengthened guardrails in the Constitution to ensure stability and continuity of government in times of crisis. The 25th Amendment creates a path for preserving stability if a president suffers a crippling physical or mental problem and is, unquote, in the amendment, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office and transfers his powers. Specifically, Section 4 of the amendment empowers Congress to set up an independent body uh, to confront such a crisis. Congress has a constitutional duty to lay out the process by which a president is president's incapacity and the president of any party is determined. This bill honors the duty by uh, creating a standing commission uh, of top former executive officials and medical experts selected in a bipartisan bicameral way. All right. So for the people listening um, and not really paying attention to the video or if you're watching the podcast or listening to the podcast, um, beside Nancy Pelosi, they have the 24th Amendment, or 25th Amendment, excuse me, and they wrote it out with the Roman numerals too, which is interesting. I guess maybe that's how it was in the Constitution, or the the amended part, the, the Bill of Rights. Well, it's actually not in the Bill of Rights, excuse me. It's um, well afterwards, right? The only the, the first 10 amendments were the Bill of Rights, but it, it it references Section 4 here. Whenever the Vice President and a majority of either the principal officers officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide. 
uh, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. So it looks like they used to either have to go, I guess since there's no body that Congress by law may provide, and that's what they're trying to set up now, it seems like they would have had to go through what it says here, the principal officers of the executive departments, um, which I don't think the Democrats had the power to do, but they do um, have control of the House of Representatives. So I don't even think this bill is going to get passed now that I think about it, because it's just a bill, and, and that means that the Democrat-controlled Senate would have to agree to it as well. So keep that in mind. Let's watch a little more here. A president's fitness for office must be determined by science and facts. And note, one last thing is at the end of that, uh, the poster, it says, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office of the acting president. Now, my question is, what if they just keep nicking or um, axing the top people? Um. So they take Trump out, then they take Pence out, and then, boom, they have Pelosi, right? So is there any limit to how many people they can knock out? And and also, another question I have is, if the vice president steps up to president because the president gets nixed, who becomes the vice president? Or does that position stay open? Is the Speaker of the House become the vice president? I'm not sure. Let me know in the chat if anyone knows that. All right, let's keep watching. This is Pelosi and Raskin doing their unveiling of a new bill. Office must be determined by science and facts. This legislation applies to future presidents, but we are reminded of the necessity of action by the health of the current president. With this bill, the Congress honors our oath to support and defend the Constitution and protect the American people. And we uphold our responsibility to preserve our republic for generations to come. Now it is my honor to yield to the distinguished gentleman from Maryland, a constitutional authority by teaching it, honoring it, and, and uh, uh, again, legislating to honor our Constitution. This guy's mask, man. He looks like a duck. And I can't believe Nancy gave her speech with a mask on. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched this far through yet. I'm doing it live, live reactions. This guy, Raskin, is the primary sponsor. Let's see if he keeps his uh, P95 duck mask on. Congressman Raskin, thank you for your leadership. Madam Speaker, thank you very much. Um, he does. I'm honored uh, by your words, and uh, thank you for um, inviting me to present to the press this legislation. Um, in times of chaos, we must hold fast to our Constitution. The 25th Amendment is all about the stability of the presidency and the continuity of the office. It's a tool that was adopted by overwhelming bipartisan majorities in the House and in the Senate in 1965, and overwhelming bipartisan uh, majorities of state legislatures, three-quarters of whom passed it in 1967. Um, the 25th Amendment is designed to guarantee the continuing peaceful transfer of power in our country. The principal authors of the amendment, like Senators Birch Bayh and Robert F. Kennedy and Congressman Emanuel Seller from New York, wanted to resolve basic questions about stability, continuity, and succession in the office of the presidency. So section one established that if the presidency is vacant, the vice president becomes the president. And believe it or not, that was ambiguous at the time. Section two establishes that if the vice presidency is vacant, the president nominates a vice president, and by concurrent majority vote of the House and Senate, that nominee becomes um, the vice president. Okay, that is interesting. If true, that is interesting. So he just he just broke down and answered some of the questions I had. Section section three established a process for the temporary transfer of power by a president who is incapacitated uh, by transmitting to the president pro tem of the Senate and to the Speaker of the House 
a statement establishing a temporary disability. And this has happened multiple times with uh, various presidents, including President Reagan, who transferred powers to uh, Vice President Bush when he underwent colorectal surgery. Now, Section 4 deals with the problem of a president who becomes incapacitated but has made no provision to temporarily transfer powers, meaning, in the words of Senator Birch Bayh, that the president is unable either to make or to communicate his decisions as to his own competency to execute the powers and duties of his office. In that case, the vice president and a majority of the cabinet or the vice president and such other body that may be established by Congress may determine that there is a presidential incapacity and notify the president pro tem and the speaker of the house of that, uh, of that inability to conduct the powers and duties of office. In that case, the powers would be transferred to the vice president. Now, if you read section four, you will see that the president has the opportunity to object that he actually can conduct the powers despite what the vice president and uh, these bodies are saying. Uh, and ultimately, there would be a vote of the House and the Senate, and it requires two thirds to side with the vice president. So it's it's made procedurally difficult to make sure that this is. Now, another thing is, um, I don't know if everything he's saying here is agreed upon or if uh, this is a liberal or democratic or interpretation of the situation. It could be um, could be a biased interpretation to be uh, suited for them and upcoming upcoming conflicts that they foresee arising really only for the most extreme situations where you have a president who cannot fulfill the functions of the office. Now, it's never been necessary, but the authors of the 25th Amendment thought it essential in the nuclear age. All right, let me give this guy a little break from talking through his mask here and put him on pause. Um, I think it's very interesting um, to think about that they, they, Nancy said, this isn't about Trump, but he made us consider the need. He made us see the need. <laughs> For this, so it is kind of about Trump. She wants to take Trump out of office, whatever necessary, by by whatever means necessary, and she doesn't have a mechanism to do it successfully now. So she's introducing, with the help of this Raskin dude, a a plan to give. A, I'm assuming, based on the other way the Democrats act, um, the Democrats the ability, or maybe just the establishment, the ability to take uh, presidents out. Again, I don't think Trump is really outside of the establishment that much. And I know some people are going to be like, dude, look, there's all there. There are all these people against him. They're changing the rules. They're cheating. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're slandering him. They're lying about him. I mean, yeah, on the surface, it does look like he's being attacked by some evil swamp creatures. But then again, I know about reverse psychology and I know looking around that people hate to see Trump being victimized and they come to his defense because uh, they see him as an outsider, and they think the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they assume that he is actually their enemy because they project him as the enemy. And so I just don't know exactly if that is factually accurate. I think that based on how much Trump's spent and who he's appointed and what, what wars he's continued and what operations he's continued and how he's dealt with COVID and how he's dealt with vaccines and on and on and on the list— how he's dealt with the, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment. It seems like he's on their side and he's just um, really selling the plan to a whole different demographic. And he's taking away different rights and screwing us over in a way different from the Democrats. But it keeps compiling as the Democrats and the Republicans switch back and forth and back and forth, each side eroding away at our liberties so that we're left with slavery and bondage. So that's how I that's how I view Trump and the government in whole. Let's watch a little bit more of this Raskin guy, the primary sponsor of this um, basically new committee, new council, just like the Soviet Union, right? The, the 
Soviet means council. So Soviet Union is the union of councils. Um, that's what the United States is turning into in large part. It's just this bureaucratic swamp mess of all of these different agencies and all these different authorities that rule over us. It's crazy. To have a safety valve option. Uh, and as they often said, we have 535 members of Congress, but we only have one president. In the age of COVID-19, which has killed more than 210,000 Americans and now ravaged the White House staff, the wisdom of the 25th Amendment is clear. What happens if a president, any president, ends up in a coma or on a ventilator and has made no provisions for the temporary transfer of power under Section 3? Who has the powers of the presidency at that point? Is it the chief of staff? Is it the vice president? Is it the secretary of state? This situation is what demands action under Section 4. I wish that Congress had set up this permanent body 50 years ago. Uh, it did not do it, but um, we do need to do this, um, certainly in the next Congress. Uh, the framers of the 25th Amendment knew that you could not always count on the cabinet to act, and so Congress has a role to play, and that role must be totally bicameral and totally bipartisan. And the legislation that I introduced today... Uh, okay, so I guess it's the cabinet. Maybe it's the presidential cabinet. And remember, the president is the top of the executive branch. He's the executive of the executive branch. So, um, or he's the chief executive. So I guess there's no way in hell that his advisors are going to kick him out, right? Because he picks his advisors. So they're trying to basically create this new way that they can invoke the 25th Amendment um, against the president. And, and some Republicans are coming out and they're saying it's actually about uh, Kamala getting picked ahead of Joe. Or, or Joe getting pushed out of the way for their their real pick, who they couldn't actually sell to the majority of the voters. But I think it's going to be used, um, or I think they're going to try to. Well, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But it's it's we need to consider both both uh, parties being victimized by this in the future. And would seeks to establish a 16 member commission that could act in the event of such an emergency, and a chair, a 17th member chosen by the 16 members themselves. Eight members are chosen, half by. Republican leaders and half by Democratic leaders from medical personnel, physicians, and um, other medical authorities. The other eight members are drawn from former the ranks of former high-ranking executive branch officers, including former presidents, vice presidents, attorneys general, secretaries of defense, uh, treasury, and state, and surgeon general. So the commission is entirely bipartisan, and of course, under the 25th Amendment, it can act only in concert with the vice president, who is the key actor under the 25th Amendment. Um, so the Constitution is designed to give us the tools that we need to deal with the many crises of human affairs that can uh, affect the continuity of democratic self-government. We are um, in the middle of a momentous election, and as the speaker said, the people will decide that. But when we get through this, the problem that we're talking about today is something serious that we have to face. And uh, I'm delighted to introduce this legislation and to answer any questions you may have. Okay. Okay. Madam Speaker, Madam Speaker, can you address the concern here with this commission? Number one, the idea that medical professionals will, on this commission would not have examined the president, there are ethical issues as to whether or not that's appropriate for them to rule or make a judgment on a president's health if they have not done that. And number two, you say this is something in the future Congress that should be addressed. And Speaker, you said this is not about this president. How, how can we read that at this point in time when you talk about COVID-19 this not being set up? So um, I'll answer the first question. I'll let the speaker take the second. The legislation um, sets up a process by which Congress, through concurrent votes in the House and the Senate, could direct the commission to conduct a medical exam of the president. And that would include whatever the members of the commission think is necessary to determine whether or not there's an incapacity. Wow. Wow. And I also want to show you, um, we, we have a couple documents here that I'm looking at. Um, this is from Raskin's office. He is the main sponsor on this uh, bill. And it talks about this committee that they're going to assemble.
And the first thing it mentions is a, a the first thing it mentions is a psychologist, which is very interesting. Very interesting, uh, especially or excuse me, psychiatry specialist. Um, and of course, that is one of the major ways that they can attack anybody. And and they're saying it against Trump, they're really ramping up and amping up this talk about mental health. And I also see them ramping up other Soviet ideas like uh, talk about fake news and uh, anti-American agitation. So we're seeing the same old playbook taken off the shelf, dusted off. It's the Soviet playbook. And um, I've been reading up about it. I need to do a lot more research. Like I'm looking at this book right here, Russia's Political Hospitals. And uh, it starts out right here. The nature of psychiatry, yeah, the nature of psychiatry is that the or is such that the potential for its improper use is greater than in any other field of medicine. Several factors suggest themselves for why this is. Psychiatry's boundaries are exceedingly blurred and ill-defined. Little agreement exists on the criteria for defining mental illness. The mentally ill are often used as scapegoats for for society's fears, and the psychiatrist commonly faces a dual loyalty, both to the patient he is treating and to the institutions to which he is responsible. And it goes on and on. That's just like the first sentence from this book. But uh, there's a huge problem with giving the state the ability to lock people up or call people crazy and take them out of office or take them out of their homes or strip them away from their families. Um, it's called the punitive use of psychiatry, also the political abuse of psychi- of psychiatry. And it's a topic that I recommend people look into. So I, I just don't like um, these oftentimes quacks. I don't want to say all psychiatrists are quacks. I know a few good ones at, at the very least, but very um, concerning profession. And I brought this up before with them putting together a task force for um, the TAPS Act. That's what the TAPS Act called for, is putting together a task force, coming up with a national strategy that Congress would vote on its implementation. And th- their task force was law enforcement and mental health professionals. And those groups have an incentive to, to um, what's it called, to give themselves and their friends and other people in their industry more work. Because for all they know, they might go back into the industry after their time in the government and even at a subliminal or subconscious level, they, they have some interest, some self-interest in uh, increasing their profession and making themselves more necessary. Also, they, they obviously think that their profession is necessary already, so they already have a bias towards it that others might not share. And uh, I have a really interesting view. I'm going to share it again on, or not view, I have a really interesting um, video where I talk to somebody, two people, one from uh, Babin's office, one uh, one from Crenshaw's office, and it's one of the best investigative reports I've seen on the topic. I actually talk to uh, Babin, who's the primary sponsor of the TAPS Act. I, I, I spoke to his legislative assistant, and the video is on library. You know what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll repost it on Patreon as a, as a bonus because I really recommend people check that out. Um, and I also put out another video. I put, I've been putting out lots of, video on, lots of videos onto Patreon, so definitely go check those out. Um, oops, I'm lots of great videos for patrons. Okay. Link in the chat. If you guys want to see that video when it drops again, uh, let's watch a little bit more of this Raskin guy. 
if the president refuses and the president would have a right to refuse, that could be taken into account uh, by the commission, which would have to rule based on all of the other evidence that it has. Again, this isn't about uh, any judgment anybody has about somebody's behavior. This is about a diagnosis, uh, a professional medical diagnosis. Uh, let me just back up for a second just to put uh, personal uh, here. Uh, when this happened, it was after the assassination of, of President Kennedy. And you may not know this, you weren't born yet, but there was no, no uh, and, and Lyndon Johnson became president, there was no vice president. And if anything had happened to President Johnson and his health was not the greatest, the Speaker of the House would have become the President of the United States. So this sets up how you would elect. Says the Speaker of the United, or the Speaker of the House. <laughs> so keep in mind that this woman on the screen right now is one of the top in line to benefit from this bill. But again, she often comes out when the uh, House passes a new, um, or whenever the Democrats or the House want to make a press announcement, Nancy Pelosi will, will, will usually be there. So I, I can't say definitively there's something weird going on there, but um, there's 14 more minutes of this, which is in, uh, like 10 minutes at one and a half speed. So we'll watch a couple more uh, moments from here. Uh, Nancy taking questions and making statements. Another a vice president, how a vice president we chosen by the president, but voted upon by the House and Senate. And of course, that's what happened with uh, Gerald Ford. He was, uh, after Spiro Agnew, all that, he was appointed the vice president and uh, very popular in the Congress on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the Capitol. I take, um, uh, I love that, the story about how that happened because on his 90th birthday, Gerald Ford came to the House, which is where he sprang from. He was the minority leader. And I said, Mr. President, I'm so honored to serve. I was minority leader at the time. I'm so honored to serve in the position that you served in. And he said to me, I served with your father. I served with your father. And he started to tell me stories about that. When he died, I was the incoming speaker. And we had the honor of opening up the speaker's office. And this is crazy. I mean, her mask is all askew. And uh, <laughs> she finally got it over her nose. But this is such a mess. I mean, they're all they're all muffled because their mask is on. It is just, it's just theater. All the rest, even though I wasn't going to be sworn in for a day or two, but had possession of the speaker's office uh, open to his family, who at the time he was minority leader, that's where he presided, and again where his children came and did their homework and all the rest. So we have a real personal connection to Gerald Ford, who filled this spot as determined by the Twenty Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, we have we can do a couple things at once. We can engage in our political activity for the public to make its verdict uh, 25 days from now, uh, and at the same time honor our responsibilities to have something in place that does not apply to this president, uh, but certainly uh, raises the issue. If a president, and this is you know not with bad intention, if a president becomes incapacitated by stroke or ventilation, whatever it happens to be, uh, he would not have the ability as. Ronald Reagan had, as, as President George Herbert Walker Bush had, as President George W. Bush had, to make a judgment uh, for this period of time, I transfer the power. So this sets up a formula. It's not for any of us to decide that. It's about a process to decide it. And as the, uh, as the distinguished gentleman said, without the vice president, the vice president is crucial to this. And that would be the, pres the, the vice president of the president's party. So that's interesting. The vice president is crucial to this, she says. I want to play that again because this is really important. Um, I was watching Tim Pool's video earlier before I started, and uh, he really thinks this is about getting Kamala into presidency uh, by usurping Joe. But, I mean, I don't know if that's actually what he believes. That's what he presented in his video. Uh but he did say something about the reason why he doesn't think it's about Trump is because Nancy said it's not about Trump and that 
the vice president would have to agree to it or something. And he said Pence wouldn't betray Trump, which I think is a fair assessment. But I don't know if the pres- if the vice president has to agree with the process, uh, other than the fact that they will be taking the presidency. So I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to picture how this all works. I'd be lying if I said I knew. Let's uh, let's rewind about you know 15 seconds and listen to what she said about the vice president. Decided, and as the uh, as the distinguished gentleman said, without the vice president, the vice president is crucial to this, and that would be the pres- the, the pre- vice president of the president's party. What does that mean, crucial to this? I just can't find anything about uh, what the vice president. Oh, okay. Apparently, the vice president has to concur with Congress. I'm looking back at this. uh, I don't know if this is the whole thing or just an excerpt from the 25th Amendment. But it says, I'm I'm reading here from Raskin's press release. Uh, Section 4 of the 25th Amendment empowers Congress to establish a permanent body that with the concurrence of the vice president. So the concurrence, uh, which probably means like with the agreement, concurrence.com. Nope. Concurrence definition. Uh, two or more events or circumstance happen, happening at the same time. Agreement or consistency. So he's, I guess, saying that the... All right, let's search through the bill itself. In consultation with the vice president, transmit a report. So the commission and the vice president transmit a report to the speaker of the house... And then what? Let's see what, what it says exactly. A disagreement of the vice president. Here we go. If the vice president disagrees with the declaration or any other conclusion of the commi- commission under subsection A, the report submitted under such subsection shall include a statement by the vice president setting forth such disagreement and the basis for such disagreement. So the, the vice president gets to state their case <laughs> as part of the report that this committee is going to put together. And then the consideration comes in. Any refusal by the president to undergo such examination shall be taken into consideration by the commission in reaching a conclusion. So I don't know. It, it just leaves us hanging. That's a cliffhanger. What happens at that point? Uh, this is the report. And then they have the examination. And then they report. But who gets to make the decision? Who has the authority, right? That, there's that word again. So there's the examination of the president section. Let's listen to a little bit more. I'm going to try to read through this and see if there's any other gems while we listen. Just a few weeks ago, you were a week or two ago, you were toying with the idea of impeachment. Now you're talking about the president. You're, you're toying with the idea of impeachment. That's not impeachment. And, and now you're talking about a predicate that did not exist. Another question, because that is based on a false thing. Yes, sir. Madam Speaker, I'm just curious. <laughs> wow. I wanted to hear where that was going. How was she not toying with the idea of impeachment? How is that a, a false premise? The other day I got an ad from a super PAC saying, why are you voting blue? Question mark. Now that's an example of a question with the presupposition designed to mind control me. But <laughs> the person saying you just tried to impeach Trump. Does this have anything to do with it? Is a valid question. I would have liked to hear where that was going. Uh, note for the record, Nancy Shut that down. No answer. No, they didn't even let the uh, questioner finish. And the questioner just was like, okay, the authority told me I'll comply. I'll obey. 
curious about the timing. Uh, why introduce this legislation now? Why not wait until the new session of Congress? Uh, things may have changed, may have a clearer view of, of the arc of, of the legislation and the Congress. Wouldn't it be easier when the decks are cleared uh, just to wait until no, the next session? Ready. And it takes time, and, and there's been a call uh, for why not execute uh, the uh, 25th Amendment. Uh, that's not what we're doing. We're saying let us Congress exert the power that the Constitution gave it. Jamie, did you want to speak? To <clears throat> um, you know, Before Raskin goes, check this out. So earlier in the document, it talks about the, the determination. Um, the determination under subsection A shall be made if the commission finds that the president is temporarily or permanently impaired by any of the following conditions to the extent that the person lacks sufficient understanding or capacity to execute the powers and duties of the office of president. Physical illness or disability, mental illness or deficiency, alcohol or drug use, um, any other condition or contingency uh, rendering the president unable to execute the powers and duties of the office of the president. So it doesn't say anything about the vice president here other than the vice president gets to put a little paragraph if they disagree with the commission. But it's still, let's see, if directed by Congress, see, I'm, I'm guessing they're just going to go, if, if the commission says off with their head, so to speak, I, I, the, the head has to be offed not killed, but uh, taken out of office, then it, it happens. I mean, that's my interpretation of this. I'm going to keep reading through the various uh, press releases and articles and stuff. Let's watch a little bit more to buy me some time while I uh, see if we can find any answers about who gets the final call. It's interesting that when I found that the body had never been set up, and I guess the reason is, is that there's never a really good time to do it because it's always seen just in its local circumstance as opposed to the need to have this institutionally. Um, and um, so... I guess I would say this is the situation has focused everybody's mind uh, on the need for uh, following through on the situation. So he said, you know, you know, we probably should have this because, um, you know, we should have had it before, but no one ever wanted to do it because it's always looked in the current situation. So and then we were thinking, you know, for this situation, we should do it. It's like I thought you just said it wasn't about the situation it's because we should have one of these bodies this suggestion in the 25th Amendment that Congress set up its own body. And uh, I think, again, in the age of COVID-19, uh, where a lot of government actors have been afflicted by it, uh, we need to act. To, to my colleague's question, I mean, this is a president who has been impeached. You have made comments in recent days suggesting that you think his mental state might be affected by the drugs that he's on. What do you say to those who see what you're doing now and say, aha, this is just another attempt to go around the public and try to get rid of this president you know, through a way that's not an election? Well, let me first say, what I said about the president and the drugs was, there are those who believe that taking certain medications can affect your judgment. I don't know. Okay, let's, <clears throat> let's say what I actually said. I don't know. That's what I said on a call with my members. So you may have gotten it through several times. There are those medical professionals who say that certain medications can impair judgment. I don't know. And this is not, I appreciate your question because this is really important. It's not about any of us making a judgment about the president's well-being. It's about this respected bipartisan, both aspects of it, the medical side of it and the dignitary statesman side of it are selected equally by the speaker, the leader, the speaker, the leader, the leader uh, in a bipartisan way. And the vice president is crucial to that. Uh, when we do legislation, it's important to socialize it. So that people understand. Socialize that, it. So that we would Did you hear that? Someone needs to make a, a meme out of that. I mean, we won't, we won't be able to see her lips move because she's wearing a muzzle. But she says, whenever we need to make whenever we make legislation, we need to socialize it. I'd like to have it in place 
and, and it could be said for future presidencies. If the president wins this election, yes, it would apply to him. If he doesn't, it'll apply to the next president of the United States. But this isn't about anything to say, um, we gotta do something like this about the election. It's not about the election at all. And I thank the, uh, the distinguished gentleman from Maryland for this. This has been, we could have done this a while back. But the timing is for now because people want to know. We have to give some comfort to people that there is a way to do this. Very respectful of not making a judgment on the basis of a comment or behavior that we don't like, but based on a medical decision, again, with the full um, involvement of the vice president. She's getting tired. She's getting out of breath. Of the United States, where she may be uh, at, the, at the time. Would you concede then that the president has not met the threshold for invoking the 25th Amendment? But I, I don't understand the question. Well, would you concede that the president has not met the threshold for invoking the 25th Amendment? That's not for us to decide. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole point is, look, we understand that in politics, people point fingers back and forth, but the issues raised are of such gravity and central importance to the nature of our government that we've got to think of this in constitutional terms. And this is why we need to set up an institution composed on a bipartisan uh, fashion in can we keep that in mind when, when you guys are trying to grab our guns? Then we need to look at it with the Constitution in mind. Bicameral fashion that will be able to make judgments, um, whether it is five months from now, five years from now, 50 years from now, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, we're living in an age of a lot of chaos. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to say I appreciate uh, what the speaker has to go through on a daily basis dealing with the chaos of politics, which has been made especially intense recently. Um, and I appreciate her uh, seeing that we need to create some constitutional and institutional foundations for dealing with the chaos. Dealing with the chaos. Now, speaking of dealing with the chaos, the 25th Amendment apparently was inspired by the assassination of JFK. So we've been seeing all of these connections between Trump and JFK. Here's another one, the 25th Amendment. And uh, they're calling for a 16-member 16 16 committee with a 17th chosen by that group itself to act as its head. It says the vice president is the key actor they say that the committee would serve as the, at the behest of the VP. Well, and if you believe that, that really aids more to the idea that this is a tool to get Joe out if he ever loses his mind. I mean, that that's an interesting thought here that I'm sure the Democrats want to have control of that as well. And they want to be able to use it on Trump, I'm sure, right? <laughs> Even if they don't make that the selling point, that's one of the major reasons here. All right, let's, um, I want to show you this other thing. This is a question, um, or a freq frequently asked question. Uh, can the president challenge an incapacity finding under the 25th Amendment? So if they find them incapa incapable, the president can, it says yes, the president can uh, declare that no incapacity exists and resume the duties of the office. And then this happens. The president's declaration can only be overridden within four days by any of the following. One, the vice president and a majority of the cabinet can override that. Two, the vice president and the body created by Congress, this 17-person thing that we were talking about, uh, which may then be upheld by two-thirds majority vote in both houses of Congress and the president is unable to discharge the power, or that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. Now, this is a complicated sentence that we need to look at here. So, it can be overridden by the vice president and a majority of the cabinet, or the vice president and the body created by Congress. But then this is complicated here. Like, when we look at that, okay, is the vice president get one vote, or is the vice president 
required to, to go this route. And then where, when does this kick in here? It says, which then may upheld, be upheld, which then may be upheld, excuse me, by two-thirds majority vote in both houses of Congress. And if they all vote that the president is out of his mind or whatever, then it, the, then it overrides the president's challenging of them declaring them incapable. So it does appear like the vice president has a big role. I'd like to see some examples worked through because like this doesn't do it for me. And his bill doesn't really describe these processes. I mean, it, it probably does actually somewhere in here. But I still don't understand exactly. I guess I'm trying to make this work in the sense of I'm, I'm imagining the Democrats are trying to come up with some loophole that they can use against Trump. And I'm just looking for it. But it's possible it's not for Trump. It's possible this is actually a, a, a mechanism that they want in case they have some out of control president. Um, and outside of the realm of impeachment, because I think impeachment has to do with crimes. 25th Amendment has to do with being incapacitated. All right, let's watch a little bit more. And our forebears who wrote the 25th Amendment gave us the tools that we need to deal with these kinds of crises. With the American people is the Constitution of the United States. Uh, it has always been uh, gratifying for me, edifying to go around the country, and no matter Democrats or Republicans, right or left or whatever, that the Constitution, the rules, are what really do unify us. And this is a comfort to people, that it's not about who's in power saying, I don't like the way he or she is acting. It's about a process that is bipartisan, based in the Constitution, giving Congress the power to do this, which Congress hasn't done. And again, at a time when people understand uh, that it, it has uh, some, there's a necessity uh, for it. But again, to, you, to your question, it isn't about any of us making a decision as to whether the 25th Amendment should be invoked. That's totally not the point. That's not up to us. That's not up to us. But I do go back to Mr. Raskin's point. Just put yourself in a situation and your responsibilities to your family. Should any of you suffer a stroke or COVID and go to ventilation and all the rest of it and are not capable of making decisions for your family, just because it's unforeseen, accidental, whatever happens, wouldn't you have in advance like to have had a plan for your family? Even if it's temporary, God willing, even if it's temporary, uh, that would be in place. So that's, that's what this is. You're suggesting that President Trump has an altered state of mind. What are the implications of that? And if I may, recently you commented on UK Brexit policy. Do you think Prime Minister Boris Johnson is an example of somebody whose capacity to govern is reduced by coronavirus? I have no idea, nor do I have of President Trump. Uh, I just said he clearly he is under medication. Any of us who is under medication of that seriousness has, a, has is in an altered state. He has bragged about the medication that he has taken. And again, uh, uh, there are articles by medical professionals. All right. I will spare you the rest of this. <laughs> spare myself the rest of it. So we have a lot more news to go through. We'll keep going through. Uh, I want to mention something somebody said in the chat. Evan says, or Yvonne says, I believe that in Australia yesterday, government complained about someone getting COVID at home from a family member. Yes. And also probably more concerning is the clip that is the clip where that happened um, and what happened right after they said that. Because first of all, it looks like they're kind of laying the groundwork for um, separating people and taking children out of the households. And then he somehow slips up. His mind starts thinking about the new world order and he says it. He says new world order. So we covered that in um, one of the, I'm, I'm actually trying to find the, the link to it. 
Okay, here it is, actually. I found it. That never happens. Check this out, everybody. And what I'm seeing as health minister is uh, a level of apathy, a level of complacency. Um, I understand that, but I'm not happy about it. I'd also say this. The other area of uh, danger uh, is the place that we would normally consider to be the safest place on earth, our homes. Uh, you've already heard today that uh, one of, uh, or a number of the people who have actually uh, uh, now got the virus got it in a home situation. And we'll hear more detail about that in due course. But it is uh, both a safe place and a dangerous place. We must treat this uh, new world order, Whoops. New, this new world of COVID, Whoops. we must treat this new world of COVID, even in our own homes, with a high level of care and caution. This new world order? I mean, this new world of COVID? I mean, this new normal? <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, they have these phrases, uh, new world order. Which is, is uh, they have to, I think, be more careful about using that now. People are onto that one. They also have these new terms like build back better and great reset. And people are still trying to figure out what those mean. But those are going to have some bad connotations in the future too. Um, hopefully they already do to many of you out there. So this is interesting. A follow-up on the Yale University discrimination against, uh, allegedly against uh, Asian and white applicants mostly. And... Uh, they are being sued or no, what are they being? Um, yeah, they're being sued by the justice department, uh, for legal discrimination practices. So this just came out yesterday and I wanted to read through a little bit of this. This is Yale university, the group that, um, has skull and bones on campus. So they are alleging race and national origin discrimination uh, it alleges that Yale insures applicants and in student in students because Yale's race discrimination relies upon and reinforces damaging race-based stereotypes. So they're just accusing them of uh, discrimination. Now, this is a very interesting topic, and it's going to tie into some of the other stories that we're going to get into, namely the one about Yelp. Uh, labeling businesses who get accused of racism or who have a, a news story break about them being racist, they're going to slap a warning on there for people. And uh, that is, you know, obviously being very, very um, contested. I don't know if that's the right word. People are angry about that because they think that it's... See, it's it's actually, it's, it's a very interesting topic. And I, I think that... Um, what what the conservatives say is that, look, these are the actual racists. You know, out of everybody, these people are actually preferring certain races. Like, look at the Yale story. Um, they're letting certain people in there with lesser scores because of their race. And they're requiring certain people to have higher scores and, and better resumes uh, because of their race. Now, the counter argument to that is we want, we're doing it for diversity we uh, are trying to undo some historical damages that have happened. I'm pretty sure I, I could be wrong, but I think Yale is named after like Ulysses Yale or something who got a bunch of money from the slave trade. Let me let me confirm that Elihu Yale, this guy right here. Um, it says right in his description, was a British-American merchant and a slave trader. President of the East India Company. So a lot of these 
schools got a lot of their money through evil things or that we think now are evil. And I think they were always evil, but people rationalized it and people thought that because it was normalized, it was okay. So I, I do think there there's, there's something else. There's potential for having two sets of laws, right? You can say, okay, one, a certain group's been victimized. So, you know, we're going to have anti-discrimination laws. So you cannot discriminate against that group, but then that we can even give that group some more rights. Oh, they can discriminate against other people because those are the oppressors. So it's all, <laughs> it's, it's trippy to me because thinking about morality is always kind of trippy to me because there's all different ways to look at it. The, the, I can just see this going all sorts of different ways. I can see some big problems ahead. And, and the biggest problem I see is this divide between everybody. I mean, and I think it's done on, on purpose. If, if you look at, um, there's, there were some leaked documents that came out, I believe, from Whole Foods or Amazon or something like that, where they said that they were trying to achieve diversity so that they would uh, have less unionizing or less less uh, unity amongst their employees. And so I think the exact same thing works on a bunch of different levels where, you know, if the people aren't similar to one another, then they don't really feel a kinship. I mean, I think that's wrong, uh, although maybe that's somewhat natural. I think that we, we should try to put aside our differences and not just integrate, but aggregate. That's the way I look at it. But I, I think that people can have different views. And I I don't have any problem with uh, so-called black people being so-called racist against white people or against Jewish, Jewish people or against um, any group. And likewise, I don't really have that big of a problem anymore. I, I, I kind of hate it. I don't like it. But it's just a thought crime. And I don't, I don't think there should be thought crimes. Um, and that would be like, People who look more like me, so-called white people, being racist against uh, groups that they have historically oppressed, you know, I, I, I definitely, I, I don't mind the pe- the people who have been oppressed being racist, but I don't really mind the people who have done the oppressing being racist. I, I don't know. I, I think there are crimes, but I just don't think that I. I don't, I don't like discrimination laws is my point because I think that people should just uh, do the right thing. Everyone should judge each other based on what they do and we should just have freedom. Freedom to make mistakes and freedom to, to do the opposite of a mistake, to have great takes. So that's the way I look at it, but I, I understand that different people are going to have different opinions. But I don't understand the opinion that says, oh, bakers should have to work for, for gay people even if they don't like it. Oh, but Facebook can censor um, all of their people they don't like as long as it's not on race or gender grounds. Yet they actually hire based on uh, race and gender grounds all the time. But it's against so-called oppressors. (laughs) And and that's the other thing is we're looking at races now as like the monoliths. And, And just because two people look the same doesn't mean they have any other things in common. So it's weird to have like, okay, now white people are the oppressors and black people are the oppressed. When in reality, there's been plenty of black people who've oppressed white people. There's been plenty of very successful um, 
black people, very impoverished, very fail, uh, just people who've not been able to to scrape together two cents and you know whatever for, from so-called the white race. So it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting topic. Morality is an interesting topic. So I think it's immoral to discriminate or to, to be prejudiced, but I don't think it should be against the law, at least like for thought and speech, right? Because we ha- we're supposed to have free speech, which means uncomfortable, um, unpopular speech. Even if I don't want to say those things, I don't have a problem with other people saying it. But at the same time, I'm not going to say that Facebook should be jailed and all the employees jailed or whatever or shut down because they censored some people that I like. I, I like that private companies can can censor who they who they want to censor. And other private companies can set up can start up and do things however they want to do it. They want to say, oh Facebook, you 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 really just uh shot yourself in the foot. We're gonna come and do it right. Do it. That's awesome. Or come along and say Hey, Facebook, we see what you're doing. You're taking out all these people. We're going to come up with an alternative that caters to those people and serves those people. Uh, and that's that's a good alternative as well. Although it would be nice if we could have a site that everyone uses where the best ideas win. And that's kind of what people look at for as Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. But in reality, they're totally rigged. So new people come to these platforms thinking they're going to see the world in its, in its totality but they just see the world that they're supposed to see. And then they usually conform to it and accept it. All right, moving on. Okay. So speaking of these, uh, major platforms, Twitter's announced some, uh, major new rules change rules, uh, changes. And, uh, these are some very interesting rules that I wonder if they're going to stick around after the election. That's what I'm more worried about, but also I'm worried about, these major companies trying to sway the election. Remember after the 2016 um, Trump victory, Google had a, a very prominent employee who uh, heads up or is, is an ex- executive on the Machine Learning Fairness Initiative, which seeks to train their machine learning, extremely advanced, highly capable because they have so many computers chugging along, uh, machine learning algorithms that they can tell whatever they want it to say. They can say, okay, well, we want you to uh, promote this idea and censor this idea or shadow ban that idea, and the computer will do it. It's it's um, it's another misnomer, this fairness concept, machine learning fairness. But here's what Twitter's announced, if you haven't heard. With just 25 days to go, they put out this uh, blog post that I, I kind of just want to go straight to the horse's mouth. So... They say right here, we know that this cannot be achieved uh, meaning meaningful political debate and enabling people to hold those in power accountable. Twitter says that cannot be achieved unless the integrity of this critical dialogue on Twitter is protected from attempts, both foreign and domestic, to undermine it. Today, we are announcing additional significant product and enforcement updates that will increase context and encourage more thoughtful consideration before tweets are amplified. Now, this is uh, very, very important here. So usually when you are on Twitter, you can hit retweet and people, 
everyone in your network will see it or <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work. A lot of times people are shadow banned, but now what they're doing is, is when, um, when a tweet is disputed, you can't retweet it. You can quote it, but you can't retweet it. You can't spread it. So instead of people having a real easy way to, to pass it along to all their friends, they have to come up and type something in about it, which isn't the, I mean, they could have gone further and said, oh, this is disputed. You can't spread this. I mean, it's just so weird seeing this user interface. Like if they don't like it, you can delete it. But since it's disputed, people can't have that opinion. So this is what happens when you hit the retweet button and they don't like the content. This is disputed. And then you still have the option to quote the tweet. So here's a, um, here's a video of it happening or a GIF, I think. Yeah, GIF. So they come in and it says, not sure if the report on voting data is true, but it's really concerning link and data in this thread. And then <laughs> the person hits, uh, repost and you're allowed to like bitch about it. You're allowed to do a repost and, and say, Oh, like this person does, does, uh, the data doesn't seem to come from a reliable source. If you find any real information from authority that can convince me, then, uh, let me know. Otherwise you're an idiot, a COVID idiot or something, or a, a vote idiot. So I just think this is crazy. So you can't spread information. I mean, it's total, uh, it's this analogy that they're drawing, this uh, parable with the COVID and the spread of information. That's how I see it anyway. Second, we will prevent liked by and followed by recommendations from people you don't follow from showing up in your timeline, and we won't send notifications for those tweets. All right, let's see what this says. We will prevent liked by and followed by recommendations from people you don't follow. So it looks like they're just going to be censoring and hiding stuff and preventing people from retweeting things and um oh we will only surface trends in the for you tab in the United States that include additional context so again it's all about using every little tool they have from what tweets they suggest what people they suggest who they shadow ban who they prevent you from retweeting who they censor who they kick off the platform they have all these tools in their arsenal and a lot of them are controlled by machine learning. So that means that their computers are actually reaching out into the world and having real-term effects on people's minds. And then they can uh, do what's called vatent, or vatent, uh, latent variable models, which find hidden patterns in the data, and then they can exploit it. And over time, due to the tremendous amount of data and how many computers they have and the ever-improving mathematics uh, behind it all in different uh, platforms for machine learning, it's going to be able to do whatever it wants to humanity. So you know how they talk to you. They used to talk about singularity, which is a computer that was able to produce a computer better than a human can. And then it actually does it. And then boom, it's got some sort of crazy hardware and it's thinking like a, a beast. But um, here we have something else. We have millions and millions of computers controlled by Google that have the capacity to do whatever they want practically to the minds of the population. And I might be overstating it a little bit. I'm kind of looking a few years ahead, but I'm really trying to, to spell this out in my book. I really want to completely formalize all my thoughts. I'm going to do lots of streams about it, definitely. And um, lots of videos to the Patreons. That's one of my favorite things to do is uh, 
kind of do a research project on one uh, section in my book, uh, flesh out my book, make a nice video at the same time, because teaching is the best way to learn something. And so I really recommend people make more documentaries. Um, I have a video on Patreon about how to make documentaries and how to uh, improve your audio quality. So definitely check that out. I'll put some links in the in the chat. But let's keep going through this uh, link. And, and this is a term they use, right? I'm just pointing out all the, the new speak, right? Context. Context means <laughs> they want to control the narrative. And it has to do with the framing effect. If you look up the framing effect... Um, I talked about this the other day, but I was meaning to look up the anchoring effect, which we ended up talking about, but this is a great thing to, to point out. Uh, the framing effect is a cognitive bias where people decide on options based on whether the options are presented with positive or negative connotations. For example, a loss or as a gain. So what they want to do is give you the context. Oh yeah, you can see that tweet, but let us tell you it's bunk. Let us tell you that person's a COVID idiot. Let us tell you that person is a Russian election meddler trying to ruin our democracy and i you know here's a little <laughs> example here surgery consent form if they write in green at the bottom 90 percent chance of success the person signs and if they put 10 percent risk of complications bold and red at the bottom the person's like oh, i'm not too sure about that so how the information is framed is going to dictate how people take it on so that's the framing effect So they're going to rig the recommendations. They're going to rig pretty much everything. Uh, constantly working to protect elections, they say at the bottom. They say the improvements we're announcing today are the latest in our comprehensive effort to apply the lessons of 2016. So the same thing Google said, or YouTube, I think it was Google. Um, the woman who Project Veritas caught on hit in camera saying, no, we're not going to let another 2016 situation happen again. So in... Uh, 2018, they did the following. They encouraged voter registration for all Americans for 2018 midterms. We've been seeing them do that a lot lately for 2020. Uh, they also tightened their policies and zero tolerance approach to hacked materials. So any material that they don't like that they think is going to impact the election, they have a terms of service that they can take it out at their discretion. So they'll leave the Trump stuff up, the Trump uh, anti-Trump hacks. Uh, like Bob Woodward, they're like, oh, that's great. Let's let's have that trend on the right side. <laughs> okay, uh, the last thing in 2018, produced and continue to update the only archive in the entire industry of state-backed information operations. Now, this is interesting. Um, if you don't know what a state-backed information operation is, uh, check out my last video or a recent video on YouTube about information operations and psyops and... Um, $540 million to an, a UK-based uh, PR company, reputation management company. All right, then we have um, in 2019, uh, let's see what else. Okay, but I, I, I should probably define what inf information operations is. It's a very important concept. It's another term for a psychological operation. Well, not entire, not the only way. I guess it's a sub subcategory of psychological operation. So we have what they call the information environment, which is the free flow of information. Or eh, it's not so free anymore. There's not so much of a free flow. But there's the information environment, which we all reside and get our news and, and hear from individuals. You know, it's just the state of the world, all the different actors, what they're saying, who's listening to who, 
who's putting out material, where is it being seen, who's going to see it into the future. It has to do with projection as well. But then you have information operations, which seek to uh, control the information and thus control the minds and behaviors of the people. All right, so next up, oh, actually, I want to show one other thing from this from this tweet or from this Twitter post. They also mention here people on Twitter, including candidates for office, may not claim an election win before it's authoritatively called. There's that authoritative, right? Oh, we need authoritarians telling us what to do. Uh, to determine the results of an election in the U.S., we require either an announcement from state election officials or a public projection from at least two authoritative national news outlets that make independent election calls. <laughs> All right, so I think you see what's what's going on here. It's the New World Order. It is the New World Order. It's the authoritarian hierarchy of these banksters' dreams. Uh, tweets meant to incite interference with the election process or with the implementation of election results, such as the violent, such as through violent action, will be subject to removal. And uh, they're also going to prompt misleading tweets and prevent people from um, just doing straight up retweets. They'll they'll make people do quotes on them. All right, next up, Twitter is censoring hashtag. Obamagate and hashtag Russiagate hashtags. This is interesting. Twitter is taking a side on this. They don't want people talking about uh, the FISA court abuse, apparently. So let's see what the evidence is, because I haven't I haven't really delved into this yet. I wanted to do it live. So it says Twitter was caught censoring Obamagate and Russiagate hashtags after the documents have been released that people have been up in arms about. So if you search hashtag Obamagate, it says no results, no results, which, you know, obviously there would be some results. So let me, like I always do, let's, uh, let's fact check this. Okay. Well, it's actually showing up Obama, Obamagate, some stuff is showing up, but I do follow this person, but I don't follow I guess I follow both of these people. Is it only going to show? Um, let me try it when I'm not logged in. So it's it's showing now. Oh, if you go to latest. Okay, you go to latest and it says no results. That's huge. So they'll show you some curated ones if you go to top. But if you go to the latest, which is the only way to really find stuff without Twitter hiding it away, and they probably still hide some stuff away, but latest will show you like literally the last ones chronologically, and it's hidden. What's the other one? Obamagate and... I haven't heard of this site. Hashtags.org. Is that free? That's a good way to, to track things, looks like. Uh, what was the other one? Obamagate and Russiagate? That's weird about Russiagate, though. Isn't that their favorite? Oh, Russiagate works. Obamagate, though, yeah, that one makes more sense that they'd want to ban that. It says it could hurt 
their assessment is that it could hurt Joe Biden. This is Gateway Pundit. I guess. I think a lot of this stuff could backfire. I mean, you tell somebody not to do something, especially if they don't like you, then reverse psychology is going to kick in. So if you have hated news outlets, you would think that maybe reverse psychology is the best way to influence the populations. So here's a very interesting uh, stat. This is why I put in the title uh, that big tech is for Biden. Because according to this, 95% of Silicon Valley donations have gone to Biden. Uh, President Trump and other Republicans often complain that Silicon Valley has an anti-conservative bias. A review of campaign finance data shows that that contributions by employees at some of America's biggest tech companies are overwhelmingly going to his Democratic opponent, Joe Biden. Wired found that employees at Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Google have, I guess, given to Joe Biden 20 times more money than to Trump. Uh, 4.7, or excuse me, 4.8 million versus uh, 240,000 to Trump. Uh, It says employees at Alphabet and, excuse me, Employees at Alphabet are Biden's biggest financial backers in Silicon Valley, having donated just shy of $1.8 million. And we do see some interesting uh, actions being taken by Google. I got censored, I'm pretty sure, or uh, demonetized completely by YouTube for my video, which is still up. I think this is why they did it, about Kamala Harris and Planned Parenthood, and David Daleiden, and uh, the investigation, and hidden camera footage, and big expose about Planned Parenthood selling fetal tissue, and uh, how he said that she is one of the number one enemies of the First Amendment. So we already covered this. Um, for people just joining, make sure to go watch the, the rest of the show. Uh, this is House Democrats unveiling bill to create a 17-person commission to determine whether a president is fit for office. It is very confusing to me, the the legal um, implications of such a bill and exactly what it it means, like with examples. Um, They say that the vice president is pivotal in this process, meaning if you have a loyal first or if you have a loyal vice president, um, it's next to impossible they kind of made the impression that it's next to impossible to be overthrown, but I haven't really seen that written down anywhere in black and white. Um, and I, I did cover this earlier, so I want to move on to the other articles. Um, I like this account on Twitter. Steve uh, Latulip, MD, um, has a lot of great posts, and he's a he's a doctor, a medical doctor, I believe. Let's see, a physician, author, retired. Uh, Air Force vet, awesome guy, and he he stands up for the um, the elders. He stands up for people being victimized by this crazy uh, COVID Orwellian uh, 1984 situation. And uh, he's a big Trump fan, which I'm not, by the way. But I just wanted to give him a shout out because I like I like his uh, Twitter feed. Uh, that's at l a t u i l. Excuse me, at l a t u l i p p e. Stephen with a V. And he says, Justin, President Trump's physician clears him for public engagements starting Saturday. 
So remember the the debate was scheduled for the fifteenth, uh, I believe, which is next week on Thursday. And Saturday, of course, is tomorrow, the tenth. So this excuse that the uh, the Democrats and the uh, election committee are using that they have to go virtual is being disputed by Trump's doctor. Okay, this, I probably should have started with this. Hopefully some people are still with us. Let's see how the chat's doing. Uh, shout out to the people watching on YouTube. Uh, check out this clip from Keith Oberman. Is this not like the most terrifying thing you've heard today? Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage. Wow. Wow. So much there. He says people need to be prosecuted, convicted, and removed from our society. And he had a very broad, ambiguous list. He said people who enable or support Trump. He even said Amy Coney, Coney Barrett, which um, is his appoint, Trump's appointee for the Supreme Court. Just terrifying rhetoric from this clown, uh, Keith Olbermann. Uh, just ridiculous. This was on YouTube he posted this. Removed from our society, he says. Uh, he also comp he also uses the term maggot, which, you know, total dehumanization, you know, comparing people to insects uh, because they disagree with you politically. Uh, this is very concerning rhetoric coming from the left that terrifies me. And then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. He says the battle will begin on election day. I don't know. Well, I do know. This is totally, totally unacceptable. I mean, it's not it's not crazy, I guess, for calling for somebody to get arrested or prosecuted. If it depends on who you're calling for, right? I, I don't think Amy Comey Barrett should be convicted and removed for our society. I don't like her. I don't like her. Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't like her. I think she's going to be a disaster for our rights. She's like pro-lockdown, pro, um, what, Pope? <laughs> Stuff like that. I, I don't really look forward to her uh, being my overlord. But come on, this, this attack from Oberman on people who just support or enable Trump, whatever enable means, is um, beyond unacceptable. All right, next uh, we have the saga with Whitmer in Michigan with uh, what they're saying is an armed insurrection. Many people are thinking this is COINTELPRO or FBI induced or infiltrated. It seems even from their official story of how this was 
supposedly stopped. It was, you know, FBI infiltrated. So the question is exactly, you know, how much did the egg, did they egg these people along? They're also trying to make them seem like uh, Trump supporters, far right. And I guess they are far right, depending on, you know, what what your axis is measuring. If you're measuring collectivism on the left, individuality on the right, they they don't like government. They don't like being ruled over. And they think that uh, Whit- Whitmer is ruining their state and just a huge oppressive uh, force and an evil tyrant. And um, I think that they have a, a case. You know, I think that they have a point. Um, I mean, the founding document of this country, arguably, is the is the uh, Declaration of Independence, which says that if a government becomes tyrannical to our rights, it's our duty to replace it or to abolish it. So just just saying. Um, but what I think is very interesting is how everybody came out and attacked them. Uh, I was watching Tim Pool. Tim Pool came out and said, "Oh, I'm not worried about the the Republicans. The FBI will catch them." And uh, how are they catching them? I'm pretty sure through widespread surveillance stealing all of our privacy rights or just uh, infringing or depriving us of our privacy and uh, also through deception and infiltration and uh, who who knows what else, maybe lying. So <clears throat> we have also Trump coming out uh, saying, you should thank me. I helped uh, get these people. So let's, let's cover this real quick. Uh, you know what? The best thing to do here is just to go to Donald Trump's uh, page, uh, and let's see if we can find this real quick. He he tweets so much random stuff. Oh, he retweeted FEMA. I guess about the hurricane. All right, so I think this was actually yesterday. I should have queued this up. You know what? I, I can search for it. Um, here we go. Uh, Whitmer of... Michigan has done a terrible job. She locked down her state for everyone except her husband's boating activities. The federal government provided tremendous help to the great people of Michigan. My Justice Department and federal law enforcement announced today that they foiled a dangerous plot against the governor of Michigan. Rather than say thank you, she calls me a white supremacist. And Biden and Democrats refused to condemn Antifa, anarchist looters and mobs that burned down Democrat-run cities. I will not tolerate any extremist violence or any extreme violence. Defending all Americans, even those who oppose and attack me, is what I will always do as your president. Governor Whitmer, open up your state, open up your schools, and open up your churches. Now, I'm with him on that, on him telling her to open up, and that she is terrible and doing a terrible job. But I I don't I don't like this whole people getting arrested and, and crucified for pre-crime. People talking about maybe overthrowing their um, tyrant governor and then everybody in the world like telling them they're evil and, and are just the worst person ever. 
No, their evilness would depend on how evil the governor is they're trying to take out. And actually, they're at a certain point, depending on how evil the governor is, then they're actually good. I know, crazy, right? Morality. It's not always, it's not always clear cut. Now, think about Whitmer. I mean, there's worse things she could be doing. She could be killing people with firing squads, gas chambers, um, <clears throat> spraying poison on people or whatever. There, there's any number of terrible things she could be doing. But this is, you know, pretty terrible what she's doing. And I'm not saying it, it, it deserves death or anything or that I'm applauding these people. I just see them getting, being attacked so much for thought crimes, for pre-crimes. And uh, it bugs me. It bugs me. Because what are we going to be left with in 10,000 years? We're just going to be left with the descendants of all the bootlickers. And kind of that's where we're at right now. We're just a bunch of descendants of bootlickers. Everyone who actually stood up to the tyranny of old uh, just ended up getting locked up and out of the gene pool. All right, so let's move on. This is um, a beachgoer who was arrested, arrested, uh, handcuffed, put in a jail, and she was just walking on a beach. Uh, this is Rebel News who broke this story, uh, part of their fight, the fines uh, initiative. When you say arrested, do you mean you were actually cuffed and put in a police cruiser? Correct. I was handcuffed. My- we're walking on a beach? I was handcuffed, I was, my belongings were taken, and I was held in a jail cell for about an hour and a half until I could speak with duty counsel. An hour and a half. Wow. So that's the rebel. Um, they've been doing good work fighting those fines. Uh, also, here's the next story. Aaron B to require hosts to adhere to enhanced cleaning protocols or risk being booted off the platform. So... Basically, they're threatening to, um, or they're just making everyone work harder because of this whole COVID thing. Uh, before, what was usually pretty a pretty easy job of running an Airbnb property, now you're gonna probably spend all this money just on getting it sanitized all the time. And maybe that's a good idea. I mean, if COVID's really a big problem, but I, I just see them starting to kind of ratchet up the insanity. And I don't know if this is ever going to go away. I think it's just going to keep getting piled onto. And uh, all right, next up we have London bus driver dies of COVID, sparking union calls for tougher safety measures. Kofi Apoku, 55, has died of coronavirus, bringing the total number of male bus drivers killed by the virus to 30. What? 30 bus drivers have died of of COVID <laughs> or died with COVID, which one male online? I have a feeling it's died with COVID probably some comorbidities mixed in. Are they the healthiest people in the world? Probably not. Are they going to say that? Nope. We're just all going to have to put on hazmat sh- suits to, to ride the bus to work after we all have to sell our cars because they've, Stolen everything we own with a massive New World Order rollout. Uh, here is uh, just a, a quick follow-up on Trump and backing out of the presidential debate. It looks like um, Trump's going to just start rallying hard on his own. And uh, some people think he's making the wrong optical choice by not doing the virtual debate. I think it's the right call just from a purely... Um, 
pragmatic view of getting him more vote, uh, getting him more votes. I think that's the way to go. It gives him like, no, he's not going to agree to bad deals kind of vibe, which I think his his voters are going to resonate with. Biden apparently is uh, running into the open arms of the media, and they're going to allow him to have his own town hall, I guess, in the place of the presidential debate that was scheduled. Okay, next up, we covered this already, the 25th Amendment, Democrats pitch bill on presidential succession commission, citing his diagnosis, Trump's COVID diagnosis. So make sure to watch the beginning of the episode if you just got here. Um, this is kind of interesting. I like how the media spins this. Trump, Pence, sign booby-trapped with razor blades, all caps, razor blades, injures town worker. Just a, just a working man for the town um, who needed 13 stitches in his fingers after he tried to move it because it was too close to a road. So it seems like somebody was trying to steal somebody's Trump sign. Probably wasn't the first time. And the guy had put some razor blades to protect his property. The guy, I guess, is um, all angry because his fingers were cut. He's probably going to, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing sue the guy. Let's see. Oakland County Sheriff is investigating the incident, it says. So just kind of bizarre people watching on multiple fronts. The fact that this guy actually rigged the sign with razor blades. Like that's how much it pisses him off that someone stole his sign. And then how somebody, despite there being razor blades, actually uh, tried to steal it and cut themselves up. Um, now what time? I'm curious like about a, a various... Oh, look at this. The signs were in violation of the town's ordinance that requires them to be 33 feet from the road. There's that 33 again. And I want to give a big shout out to, uh, I think his name was Jeffrey, who just signed up uh, for Patreon because I was on that number 33 and I, I don't really like that number 33. So now we're at 34. 34 people. So we're, we're off that evil number. Um, so thank you, Jeffrey, for helping us get off that, that uh, bad luck number. So I'm curious what time the sign was stolen. Yeah, 33 feet from the road, right, Rass? That's funny. I mean, just this picture of the razor blades. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. All right, moving on. This is a great point by somebody I follow on Twitter. Evan Boyce, 77. Highly recommend this channel. E-V-A-N-B-O-Y-C-E 77. If Biden is up 13 points, Evan asks, in the most recent polls then why would Dems need to cheat by mail or pursue the 25th Amendment to oust Trump? The election is in 20 days. Something doesn't quite compute. So he's bringing up this point. It's like, why are they all freaking out about the 25th Amendment when they're supposed to win in a landslide, according to their polls that they're touting, in just a few days? Well, could it be that they don't really think that the polls are accurate? Right, exactly, Max, because the the polls are clearly fake. But what's interesting is Biden is winning by more than Hillary was supposed to have been winning by, according to the same polls. So one, one interpretation of that is what if uh, there's this phenomenon of people to conform? And I think there is a, a tendency, a, a propensity to conform 
as can be shown in, in various psychological studies like uh, Sheriff's Conformity Experiment and Ash Conformity Experiment. And they want to make it look like, oh, look, there's this huge swelling of support for Joe. Everyone loves Joe. And then just and but they, they realized they didn't do it hard enough last time. And now they have to really amp it up for Joe because it they need him to win. So they're really trying to uh, to induce this bandwagoning effect. But I don't know if that even explains it either. It could just be some. Um, it could be some bad pools of people that tend left for whatever reason, either that was by design or just how it ended up happening. It's interesting. It's interesting. So, okay, uh, let's turn our attention to Victoria. We, we played the clip earlier from the guy who said, oh, now people are catching COVID in their house. We need to ramp things up for the new world order. I mean, the new COVID world. <laughs> so they've got new world order on their minds. Look at this. This is a job posting. Authorized officers are being hired in Victoria starting in November with lockdown and quarantine jobs until March 2021. Christmas lockdown for Victoria, the meme is headed, is titled. Uh, what's involved? Join DHHS in keeping our community safe! Exclamation point. Uh, Health and Human Services is currently inviting expressions of interest from job seekers, blah, 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 uh, starting in no November. About the opportunity. Authorized officers will undertake the crucial task of monitoring and maintaining COVID-19 restrictions in both city-based businesses and hotel quarantine activities. You will help ensure business owners and individuals comply with the requirements of the Public Health and Well-Being Act of 2008. As part of your role, you will provide essential information to businesses and individuals through a range of tasks, such as conducting in-person visits and workspace or workplace inspections as part of contact tracing activities for COVID-19, providing essential information to returning. Um, what happened here? I don't know what they're doing with this meme here. I guess they scrolled down the page a bit and it says, managing relationships with community members, experiencing challenges in meeting these obligations in including investigations of breaches. So they're going to be tracking down any breachers, any free. Hey, we have one that can see. We have one that can see. So there'll be, a. it says, look, wow. Some authorized officers may be accompanied by Australian Defense Force personnel. That's the army. That's the Australian army. Or other government agencies in support of their work. All authorized officers will receive appropriate training. And conditioning, right? Um, wow. So that's terrifying. That's happening to our Australian brothers and sisters. Brown shirts being hired up. Okay, uh, here's what's going on with Yelp. You probably already heard of this. A lot of people are up in arms, concerned about this new policy and how it's going to be implemented and who's going to be labeled racist and who isn't and what the implications of this and how this could ruin people's livelihoods. Uh, Yelp says, today we announced a new consumer alert to stand against racism. In the last few months, we've seen that there is a clear need to warn customers about businesses associated with egregious, racially charged actions to help people make more informed spending decisions. Now when a business gains attention for reports of racist conduct, 
Yelp will place a new business accused of racist behavior alert on their Yelp page to inform users, along with a link to a news article where they can learn more. So the press will run some story and they'll link it right at the top of your Yelp page. Now, I'm not I'm not saying this should be illegal. I'm saying that um, this is why we should look for alternatives if you don't like policies like this. And um, people should criticize policies if they don't like it and say what's not good about it. Um, I think that this is actually, like, as far as Yelp goes, this is a feature. If they have a lot of people who are concerned with racists who use their platform and they want to be able to to mark things racist and see which ones are racist and avoid them. And if they want to go on DoorDash and only buy from black owned businesses, or if the Yelp wants to mark things as black businesses, um, there's, there's a market for that. People want to make, um, people want to vote with their dollar and support the black community at the expense of the so-called white community. Um, do I support that? I, I think it's a little bit ugly behavior. I think it's, um, it should be based on, People just supporting their their brothers and sisters, not just because they look the same or they have similar genetics. They should make it based on the the service, the quality of the service, the the likely the, the um how how likable the person and, and company is. A whole range of factors go into making purchasing decisions. If certain, so I don't know. I'm I'm torn on this. I see why people are upset and think it's the wrong call. I see why some people are going to really like it. But I am always for freedom, for the most part, and uh, freedom for businesses and for individuals. And I think that this is just a form of businesses' speech here. So I don't know. I could be uh, could be wrong. People can disagree with me. That's fine. That's just my take. Because I try to be intellectually consistent. And just like I don't have a problem if a company is discriminatory or I do have a problem with it. I don't think it should be illegal. Same with a company wanting to, to label people. Um, now it is kind of crazy. I mean, it reminds me of Nazi Germany. Remember they always like labeled all of the, the Jewish businesses and people had to like wear the yellow stars if they're Jewish. It seems like, you know, kind of in a way the, the white race is, now being the scapegoated victimized race. Now, what's interesting is that it, it is a majority, but it seems it seems very, I don't know, it seems like a lot of white people are being targeted for something that not uh, for something that most of them don't do. And a lot of a lot of times people get accused of like their ancestry owning slaves and I don't even know how true any of that is. Uh, or how prevalent that is, or, or even if people should be held accountable for crimes of previous generations, or if people should be, like the reparation fans say, should people be rewarded for their previous generations being victimized? Um, should should descendants of a criminal be forced to give money to the descendants of the victim? If I don't know, it's just it seems a little weird to me. But that's what a lot of people are arguing for. All right, moving on. Uh, you may have seen there was a House antitrust report. I think it came out of um, the House Judiciary and Antitrust Committee or something. And uh, people are, are flipping through it. 
and a former Apple App Store chief said that the company's rules are a weapon against competitors, and we all know this is true. They compete, or they they ax people they don't like. Google Play Store does the same thing, and they make it so that the people that they're friendly with have an unfair advantage and that they can uh, really hurt and oppress their competitors. And we see this a lot. So I don't think I even have to really go through this. We all know that Apple and Google get to play politics with their app store and deny services to anybody on any of their services for random things, even anti-competitive things. So we covered this earlier, uh, Twitter turning off features to fight election misinformation. Kamala Harris came out again saying, Joe Biden has been very clear. He will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than 400000 a year. Now, it just shows me, like, I, I don't know if they're just trying to be cute and win the election and, and try to say, uh, get away with saying as crazy this stuff as possible, but income tax is not the only tax that people pay in America. There's a bunch of taxes. So Joe Biden, I don't believe that he's not going to raise people's taxes. Even if, even if, a, um, like, here's one way they raise taxes on people. Um, if they were to raise business taxes, a lot of times that'll get passed on to employees and new hires. If they were to raise um, payroll taxes, anything like that, sales tax, a lot of times that gets shifted to the customers and to, okay, like, look at a business. If a business is churning along, making money, what what is what kind of decisions does it make? It, it makes decisions like how much to pay the employees, how much to set the price for the things at, right? Uh, and, uh, among a lot of other decisions. But if they get hit with a bunch more taxes, then they either have to raise the price of their product, they have to pay their pl- employees less, less uh, downsize in another in another way, or take less profit, take a smaller margin. So I don't believe it, first off. I think he'll, he'll probably raise income tax on people. And he he's even said things like on his first day, he would uh, kill the tax cuts Trump made. But then he walked that back and said, only for rich people. So <laughs> this person pretty much sums up what we all feel, or what a lot of us here feel. Oh, we know what he said. We also know it's a lie. Here's somebody with a pretty depressing message, in my opinion, Uh, says Joe Biden has already indicated that under his plan, no one earning under 400,000 will face a tax increase. The vast majority of Americans earn less than that and won't pay any more taxes under a Biden presidency. So, yes, vote Biden. (laughs) That's the funniest part at the end. So, yes, comma, vote Biden. It's like, um, because my taxes will not go up. That's why I should vote Biden. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And what what the other thing people don't realize is the government's going to spend what it's going to spend. And any money that it can't account for by raking in taxes and extorting the, uh, the people, it's just going to borrow from the Federal Reserve by issuing treasury bonds, by selling treasury bonds. So... We just get hit with debt, which is just an obligation for taxpayers. So again, and then how is that going to be paid? 
Or do you promise you're never going to raise the taxes on us to pay off that huge debt? No. So Joe Biden is just going to ramp up and up and up and up on the ledger. And uh, I don't know. It, it might even be worse if we don't pay for it immediately. Think about that. If they if they were to tax us and actually raise the taxes to pay for the bill, then at least we wouldn't have to pay for all the interest. But no, they're gonna uh, they're gonna just rack it up onto the onto the bill, and uh, we're gonna have to pay so much more down the line. And the 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 dollar's not looking too good in the long run. All right, so. We've covered this before. They're they're really trying to make a big deal out of these far right extremists that were plotting to try the governor for treason or whatever. And I think a lot of it is probably to to ramp up the surveillance efforts, to ramp up the anti-terrorism efforts. They need these types of examples to make um, the case for it and to plant the seed in people's minds. All these concerned liberals will be like. When they hear this plan later, oh, we need to crack down on domestic terrorism. They'll be like, oh, that's such a great idea. I was worried about that. <laughs> so it's all for a reason. So they're they're trying to tie them to the Boogaloo movement. Um, but <laughs> just because people make some Boogaloo jokes, I mean, it's, it's not a cohesive movement. Give me a break. Uh, so this is a little bit interesting. The second debate was supposed to be October 15th. Trump doesn't want to do it remotely, so Joe Biden is going to do a town hall. <laughs> and uh, remember, Trump's doctor says starting tomorrow he's good to go. So they're just wanting to make it virtual, probably so they can mute Trump. And also play up the, the COVID scare, the COVID fear. But this is a little bit interesting. There's this guy here, Steve Scully, who's been uh, pictured with Biden saying, you got to love the VP or something like that. And, uh, they're saying he's biased. He actually put out a, a tweet to Anthony Scaramucci saying, should I respond to Trump? And then deleted the message. They actually say that his account was hacked. The C-SPAN anchor, Steve Scully's account was hacked, but a lot of people just think it was him. And then they just, you know, came up with some excuse. I don't even understand what they're saying here. Should I respond to Trump? I guess, I don't know. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. I'd have to see the full context. So next up, this guy here, who's one of the people that they're accusing of plotting to kidnap Whitmer, uh, says Trump is a tyrant, along with Whitmer, and uh, he calls all government workers your enemy. So... He's also got some big things in his ears. So is this guy really a Trump fan? Is he an anarchist? Is he far right, far left? I don't know. Don't really care. Just don't ruin our country, authoritarians, because you come up with these scary men. You know, we have privacy rights. You have to get a warrant. All this stuff. We, need, we still need to shut down the NSA and the FBI surveillance grids. I believe that. Okay, and that's the show for today. So I just want to remind people, um, this is made possible by all the supporters on Patreon. Uh, we have a lot of great videos, like you can see here up on the screen. Um, we have a video about the Trump Twin Towers. 
I Pet Goat, this thing behind Bush here when he was told about um, September 11th, or it was on the morning of September 11th, right behind him it says, reading makes a country great. Um, 30 plus psychological experiments, emancipate yourself from mental slavery by understanding how your mind works so that people can't play you like a fiddle. Also, I uh, looked at why can't we convince people and uh, just kind of broke down how we arrive at beliefs and uh, and why it's so hard to shake somebody from their beliefs, even if you tell them the correct answer. And a lot of times it, it, we have to put ourselves in their shoes and come and ask ourselves, how do they come to that conclusion? I put together a video about how to use uh, like compressors and expander gates and uh, mixers and record better audio with uh, software like OBS and Audacity. We have a, a video about methods of control authority, um, authority, which looks at authoritarianism and how people are trained to obey it. And then what is authority? I think it's a very interesting um, line of thinking. Here's the video we, we put out this morning, human speech in the, in the evolution of the Latin alphabet. And um, I really appreciate the people who have supported me over there. And if you want to join us over there, uh, just $1 will unlock all those videos. Well, not unlock per se, but you'll get, yeah, you, you'll get access to them all. And you'll just be able to click on them, go watch them over on LBRY. And I I would love any additional support anyone could, could uh, provide because YouTube has completely demonetized this channel. And um, it's very hard to make this self-sufficient. So if anyone could help with that, I'd really appreciate it. And as always, you can email me at timtruth at protonmail.com. You can PM me on Patreon or on Twitter. I'm timtruth1 on Twitter. And uh, thank you everyone for, for tuning in. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.